So this week, we are bringing you another special couple of special guests. We have more kick-ass women baseball podcasters. Last week, we had Angela and Liddy from Hell's Bells. And this week, we are bringing you from Cuppa Cubby Blue, the Cubs podcast, Sarah Sanchez and Andy Cruz Vanasek. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. When we uh, when we usually have guests on, the first thing that we ask about is your connection to baseball. Because so, could you each give us your elevator pitch of how you are connected to baseball? Well, I'll go ahead and go first. So, uh, I think our stories are very similar. But I come from a very long line of Cubs fans. I grew up two hours west of Chicago. Um, my grandpa on both sides, actually, my dad. My mom, um, all my sisters, I mean, everybody are Cubs fans in my family. So it was basically in my blood when I was born. I mean, I remember games as young as five and six years old. Um, My best baseball memory and that one that kind of makes me laugh and people chuckle at a little bit is um, my dad who passed earlier this year and I went to a game when I was very young and I think it was the whole family, but I just specifically remember this conversation with my dad and the Cubs were playing the Astros and it was, we were there of course when the gates opened and um, the pitcher was warming up and my dad's like, go down there, get his autograph. He's going to be huge. He's going to be a really awesome pitcher. You're going to want his autograph. I was so chicken. I was like, no, I can't do it. I mean, I was probably, gosh, I don't even remember how old I was, maybe like seven, eight years old, somewhere around there. And my dad's like, you're going to, you're going to be mad at yourself if you don't do it. Well, turns out it was Nolan Ryan pitching and oh my I God. did not get his autograph. <laughs> oh. but, but my dear friend and, and co-partner here in podcasting land, Sarah made sure, and a group of our friends, Cup fan friends, made sure that I got an autographed baseball of Nolan Ryan when my dad passed. So st- turns oh, out oh, I got it beautiful. Just, uh, quite a few years later. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where my whole thing, everything that really revolves around sports in my life comes from my dad. I totally know that feeling. And it's and it's beautiful to have that memory and to have that symbol. And oh, my God, to have such good friends to be able to do that. I can't even imagine what you guys <laughs> they, went through. They definitely nice yeah, work, they Sarah. Hear me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And when I got the day that I got that, I will never forget the day that I got it because it was so unexpected. And it was one of those things I just... I think it was over Memorial Day weekend when I got it. Um, and I just, I think I cried for a day straight. And I it sits, wow. like, where I sit in my room, there's a huge picture of my dad, and it sits right next to it. So it's, like, one of those things that I'll I'll never forget, and I'll cherish it as long as I live. It's awesome. I need to collect myself after that. Every time she tells a story, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I saw you, Sarah. No, I'm I, like, oh, God. Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, no, I, I mean, I grew up in a baseball family. I remember playing wiffle ball in the living room with my dad and brother before I could tell you the name of a team. Um, and my mom made us move that game out to the yard when we were about four because um, we started hitting the ball hard enough that she was worried we were going to break something. But I also like grew up in a family that said girls didn't play baseball. So I learned all the stuff that you were supposed to do that you could do that wasn't playing. Like I operated the hand scoreboard and left. I learned how to keep score and kept the official scorebook. I did all the stats for the all-star team. By the time I was in like junior high, I would um, occasionally take the mic from like the play-by-play person who was doing that for the Little League games or the Babe Ruth games. Um, So that's kind of where I've been 
most of my life. I mean, as far as like professional teams go, I, I happened to catch the Sandberg game when I was, I must have been like four years old. So I was not very like old enough to understand anything other than that guy is winning and I like the Cubs and I just stuck with it because I'm super stubborn. So that happened to work <laughs> out really well since I live like five blocks from Wrigley Field now. But the Cubs was really just kind of an accident of who was on TV that day and the fact that I could watch them every day. That's so cool. We have very similar stories. I, Pat, my favorite story about Patty is that you were third base. Was it third base or first base? What base it was were third you? base. I am. Okay. Um, I have three older siblings that are very close together in age. There's 10 years and then me. So my mom used to assign the babysitting job after school to like a different kid every day while she was, she said making dinner. I kind of think it might've been happy hour. I don't know. I can't, you know, confirm or deny, but in the nice months, um, the neighborhood was playing baseball out in the street. And as long as I was there, I was the stroller as third base. So, and then I married a third baseman and then I gave birth to a third baseman. So it's a whole long line of things really. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, real quick. I want to know the chicken and egg thing. So you live in Wrigleyville. So what came first? fandom or location? I, I was a Cub fan long before I lived anywhere near here. I actually grew up in rural okay. Utah and I'm one of those millions of Cubs fans that invades every other park because we could watch the Cubs on WGN. And so we are, we are everywhere. Um, and when there are fans in baseball parks, the Cubs always show up really well because there are people in Utah and Arizona and New Mexico and South Dakota and all over the country that could watch Cubs games on WGN and listen to Harry Carey call everything. So I um total accident that I happen to live here now. I moved here for a career, actually spent like six years in Boston in the interim. That's a whole different thing. But so I went from oh, like Utah yay. to Boston to Chicago for work. And yeah, I just happened to be like, well, if I'm going to live in Chicago, I'm going to live by Wrigley. So good choice. So this has been a huge, huge week in the world and also in the world of baseball. And we want to keep this conversation pretty much Cub-focused. So I hope you guys will talk about the racial justice events of this week as it relates to what happened with the Cubs and kind of give us your take on all of this. It was it was big and it, it, was, it was really a thing. I'm just going to say it was really a thing. So I'll start since I wrote about this, and I know Andy has tons to say too, but I am... Um... And, and, and I'll be as I'll be as charitable as possible here, and also point out that this is the most disappointed that I have ever been with the Chicago Cubs as a fan, and I mean that mm, both on wow. the field and off the field. I mean, like every game that like we botched in some playoff broken-hearted fashion. I mean, like every signing, Milton Bradley, Addison Russell, Araldis Chapman. Looking at you, this was worse. And the reason this was worse is because this wasn't like the front office or the ownership or bad luck in October, this was the players sort of faced with a decision. And in my opinion, they just made the wrong one. And there's been a lot of apologetics around baseball media this week trying, and I'll explain the background in a second, trying to explain this away. But I, I just want to call that out for what it is. I think those are people trying to make things sound better than they do. And, and it's, there's just really no sugarcoating this one. So um, on Wednesday, as the Bucks said, they weren't going to play in game five of the NBA playoffs. And the Brewers were asked like during a pregame press conference, if they were going to play, it's Josh Hader of all people, like Josh Hader. Yeah. Unreal. That killed me. Yeah. During the all-star game got like called out for me, like terrible tweets that he had sent out when he was admittedly yeah. like a teenager, but like still horrible things he had said. 
And Josh Hader's like, well, I'm sure there's going to be a conversation about it. And by all accounts, um, and my account came specifically from reading Tom Hodricourt's writing, so I just want to give credit where it's due. The Brewers kind of like did a team huddle in their locker room and they were like, look, we've been wearing the shirts. We're not playing. Like, and it was unanimous and it was quick. It was just wow. like, we're not going to do this. Um, and Ryan Braun and Josh Hader and Christian Yelich all said, we felt like it was really important for us to do more than just wear a t-shirt that says justice. I think their t-shirts say justice equality now or something like that. It's not a black lives matter shirt, but really doesn't matter exactly what the t-shirt says. The point is that they understood that they had to do something more than wear a t-shirt. So as this is going down, the Cubs happen to be playing the Tigers and the Brewers decision comes out literally like 30 minutes to game time. So if you imagine what this looks like, Jason Hayward, the entire team is dressed, um, John Lester and Wilson Contreras are probably not even in the clubhouse. They're probably already out on the field doing long toss. And Jay Hay is texting with some of the other members of the Players Alliance. Um, specifically, I think he mentioned Mookie Betts in an interview. And they were all just kind of like, we're not going to play, right? Like, we shouldn't play. And so Jay Hay went to David Ross's office and said, I feel really strongly that I shouldn't play. I want to explain to the guys why. And then, and as he explained it to them, he was sort of like, no, no, you all play, but I have to do this. And if anyone else feels like they have to do that, you can, but like, this is a me thing. You all can go play. Now, the problem with this is that like, wow. that is not yeah, what that's... that means. <laughs> what that means is right. that if you, that you get your teammates back and you say, no, no, we're not letting you sit this out alone. This is important to us too. And we're not going to mm -hmm. play but for whatever reason, and, and I'm not going to speculate as to who stood up, who didn't stand up, whatever, they didn't do that. Um, there are accounts that multiple players went to David Ross's office and said, I feel uncomfortable playing if Jason Hayward isn't going to play. And it was sort of like, no, no, he said we should play, so we're going to play. And I was just furious. Like the second that the amended lineup came out that said Jason Hayward is a healthy scratch, I was like, look, uh, if the rest of this team does, if the rest of this team doesn't also sit out, I'm not watching this game. And I didn't. I actually like, are, stayed up and wrote an article about it. Are there any um, quotes by David Ross directly? Because I, of course, adore him, and I was, you know, super excited for him to be manager. And and with that concept that he would have more of a real connection with the players, like he seems like somebody who can really identify from him. Are there any like direct statements from him how he reacted to this? That you've um, seen. So his post-game press conference, he's actually near tears talking about this. Like it was clearly wow. very he emotional. Was, he for was him. crying. Um okay. it was also, was for crying. Rizzo yeah. too. Rizzo was clearly very upset in his post-game post-conference too. So I don't I don't want to throw everybody under the bus like they just didn't get it at all. Yeah. But they made a bad decision. And and I'm gonna only speak from this is me projecting like what I think was going on in Ross's head. Um, I taught for seven years and as part of that, I ran a debate program. And so I know a little bit about building a team and like sticking together and all of that type of stuff. There are certain things that your team has to come to the conclusion of on their own that you can't dictate as the manager or the front office, right? And so I really feel like even if David Ross would have sat, he didn't, right? Like the, the team didn't. Like this This is what I, I just cannot stress enough. They just didn't make mm -hmm. the right decision. They had a historic moment at their feet. The right decision was made, in my opinion, by the Dodgers two hours later and the Padres two hours later and the Mariners two hours later. And there were a handful and of even the Red Sox. The, well, Yikes. the Red Sox made the right decision the next day. 
Right, right, with the next group of folks. But this is sort of like where the whole tiny East Coast, West Coast thing Mm -hmm. gets in the way. But I will say that, like, you know, a handful of teams just botched this. The the Cubs botched this, in my opinion. The Cardinals botched this. They let Dexter Fowler and Jack Flaherty sit on their own. And the Rockies are the most interesting one because they let Matt Kemp sit on his own the first night. But the second night, they were like, no, no, just kidding. Like, we're going to sit with you. And I was like, okay, well, it's kind of weird. But... So it, it was disappointing here in Wrigleyville, at least for me, and I believe for a lot of other fans too. And I've said way too many words about this. I'm going to turn it to Andy. Oh, there's a lot of words. Andy, do you have more words on it? Uh, oh, I always have more words on this. Oh, that's good. Um, Put all the words out. This is definitely something that I feel very strongly about. Um, you know, I, I post about this and probably argue on every social media outlet you can imagine on a daily basis just because I feel so strongly about it. And, you know, the thought when you're watching your team and the opportunity they have and the platform that they have and the amount of um, the audience size that they have, the thought you all, you always want to think the best. You always want to think mm-hmm. that the team is going to do the right thing or at least attempt to do the right thing. And they just got this so wrong, like so wrong. And like when Sarah and I recorded, I, I made the comment, they could have had five minutes to make the right decision. I don't care if it was 30. I don't care if it was two hours. I don't care. There's no conversation that needs to be had. Jason Hayward, one of the leaders on this team, a man that has been, you know, in the ups and downs of this team, you know, helped bring a World Series to the the city, has done so much for his teammates, has been so much to his teammates. He's a leader. He's a leader in the Players Alliance. There is no conversation that needs to be had. It literally needs to be, guys, I'm not playing. I really want you to play. End of story. Everybody else puts their hands up and says, you know what? You're right. We're not playing. You can tell us to play all you want, but you're our guy. You're our, our person. You know, we're shoulder to shoulder with you every day. You feel strongly about this. We should feel strongly about this. This is not, you know, it, it, yes, it, it's a black thing for him. It's it was personal because he's black, but it should be something that they all felt personal about because it's affecting everybody. It's affecting their teammate. You know, it just to me, they just got this so wrong and it was very disappointing. And to just kind of mm-hmm. let it go yeah. like that, like at least a lot of the teams the next day, you know, sat. They thought about it. They had time to think about it. They sat. The Cubs didn't even do that. Like, well, you could have done oh, that. Right. They were off that day. They were off Thursday. So oh. they would have had to sit but, on Friday. And at that point, the momentum had kind of... But you're right. They could have, like, tried to... They could have sat on Friday. Or you think know, of something and, else to do. Or think right, of some right. way to make there a was, statement. There was a million different things they could have done to at least, you know, in, in my mind, you you lost you lost your chance. You dropped the ball. There was your stage. You had a moment. You know, the Chicago Cubs are are uh, they get a lot of national attention for things that they do. They had the mm-hmm. opportunity to do something big, to be some to be the Dodgers, to be, you know, they had that opportunity and they completely blew it. And disappointment is not even the right word. I mean, it was like it was really heartbreaking. Still, when I think about it, it's something it's going to be very hard to swallow for a long time. Forgive my my lame memory, because I know, uh, Patty, you chose Jason Hayward as your boyfriend, baseball boyfriend this year, last year, last year, uh-huh. last year. And it was because he is was he the rainy day speech, the rainy, yes. the rain yes. delay speech? Yes. And, and let me tell you why this is huge for me. I'm a Cleveland girl. All right. That killed my team. I'm yeah. I to blame it on the rain delay and not on Jason Hayward. <laughs> 
I'm so impressed with Jason Hayward all the freaking time. That was just one of the reasons. And I'm impressed with him about this. And I'm, I am also heartbroken, even though it's not my team. But yeah, this was this could have been such a symbol. And it was blown. Yeah, and that just makes it even worse when you feel like a team owes a player because they have been so important. You know, they've been that guy in a clutch situation. Then you you rally around them, especially in today's circumstances where there is so much need for people to speak out. So I, I totally get this. And this is something that we grapple with a lot on our podcast. And that's how do you deal with being a fan of a team and a diehard fan? Like I'm third generation Red Sox, right? I feel like it's in my blood. I feel like it's my connection to my dad, to my granddad. I've got Red Sox shit all over the house. But we all know that the Red Sox have fucked up a lot, like a a really decent amount of time recently. And there's some stuff about them uh, recently. So how do you guys feel about dealing as a fan when players screw up. And so we're looking at the team. We're also looking at stuff like um, Schwarber, right? With with the, the was it the cops hat? Yep. Yeah. Um, or Addison fucking Russell, as we like to call him. You know, so when you have that presence on your team, and, and I'm dealing with Verdugo now on the Red Sox, how, how do you guys reconcile? What's your strategy around that? Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's definitely something we talk about and something we have to kind of find our own personal peace with, I guess you could say um, the Addison Russell thing we, and I wish I could call him what you call him, but <laughs> I have <laughs> vowed to, to the people around me that I would not speak the way I normally speak on podcasts. So um, <laughs> in my head, he's called much worse than Addison Russell, but um, the Addison Russell thing, you know, Sarah and I obviously dealt with that on a very, um, you know, it was a very deliberate way that we dealt with that because we have strong feelings about it. But at the same time, you know, we're on a podcast, we have an audience, no matter how big or small. So you have to, you know, obviously we're allowed to have the opinions we have, but what we're, what we say about him is another thing. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's hard because for us, well, I'll speak for me, for me, it was, I cheered for the Cubs. I wanted the Cubs to do well, but I would not cheer if he hit a home run that gave us a win. I would be happy that they won, but I would never cheer for Addison, you know, and it was Mm -hmm. a very slippery slope because obviously, ultimately, you're cheering for one and the same. But, you know, you know, in your mind that I would never, ever defend him. Cardinals fans would come at us about him. Never would I defend Addison Russell. I'd like, listen, we're on the same page on this. I will never defend him. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that, you know, make me feel a little bit better that I'm obviously, I don't care that he wears our uniform. I'm not going to defend him to, you know, to any amount of, of the word. It just, it, it didn't make sense. He was not somebody I, I ever wanted to deal with. So when he was gone, needless to say, there was a lot of parties being thrown in Cubs fans home. So <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, that was, yeah. that was good. The Kyle Schwarber thing I think is a little bit different because, Um, it, yeah, it it didn't sit well with me. And I know there was quite a few Cubs fans that it didn't sit well with, and it made me look at him a little bit differently, but I understand because he does a lot of work with charities with, um, you know, supporting them and, and he, he's trying to, I think, make everyone happy. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of what I would assume the thought process is because, um, you know, he's, he's obviously a, a great teammate and, and people think highly of him. And he has done a lot of work for, for, you know, the neighborhoods of Chicago and and that sort of thing. So it's hard to, you know, speak out very much about that because it, and I don't think that very many people really, it wasn't as um, 
as large of an issue, I think, with Cubs fans as it probably could have been. Um, I definitely noticed it. And like I said, it didn't sit well with me, but it's not something that I'm going to, you know, go crazy with because just because I feel one way about one thing does not mean that I feel am anti the other way, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so that, that part, I don't, I don't really fight that battle as much. Cause I think that one is, you know, excusable, I guess you could say. I mean, I'll, I'll agree that they're two different things. I'll say this about Addison Russell. I've written tens of thousands of words about Addison Russell. Um, I covered every second of that whole story. It was not great for my mental health. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm just That's like, stressful. It, it was hard to write about. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend it was like, oh yeah, like we're just like writing up yesterday's game. Um, when he came back, I happened to be at that game. And I just, I the way I described it in a piece I wrote was just that like, I... I didn't boo. I didn't cheer. I just didn't react. I just felt like I wanted to be small and quiet and non, like if I could just not react, it might just go away, which is so similar to the way like millions of women and people who are in abusive relationships feel. And I just, it just felt terrible. It felt terrible to feel that way at Wrigley Field. I didn't take any joy from the people who booed him. It didn't give me any great measure of like, oh yes, everybody hates him to like hear that. It also just didn't give me any joy to hear people like raucously cheering for him as if, as in response to that, it just felt so divisive. Um, The Schwarber thing I think is actually something different and it's something I don't deal with as much in Chicago, but I do deal with, with family members back home. Cause like I mentioned earlier, I'm from rural Utah and like most of my family lives either in Utah or in rural New Mexico. And it's like, not particularly progressive places. I mean, New Mexico is more liberal, I guess, than Utah, but I wouldn't say progressively so. Um, And there's just a huge education gap between some people and other people on issues of race, on issues of policing, on issues, you know, like, to this day, I have family members that will come to me with things like when when these issues come up, they'll be like, but what about your dad's friend who's a cop? And I'm like, okay, I I know that guy. I know Hector. He's a great guy. I've known him my whole life. Like, I'm not saying that Hector is a bad guy. I'm also not saying that, like, we're just going to, like, accept all of policing because this one guy I know is, like, does a good job with his job, right? Like, and I also know that, like, that dude was doing, like, dare work when I was a little kid. And now I look at that work entirely differently than I did when I was six years old. Like when I was six years old, I thought it was cool work that my dad's friend did. And now I look at it and I'm like, wow, that is like the whole program was super messed up. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. (laughs) I have the luxury of, I don't even know how many graduate classes and PD opportunities and people who have taken time to educate me on some of those issues so that I can see how problematic it is to wear a, you know, cop's hat with a Black Lives Matter shirt. And I just don't know that all, all of these people have the luxury of that education. And that that's not to excuse the moment. Like, we should absolutely call it out. We should mm-hmm. say, hey, this isn't right. We should talk about it and explain why, because otherwise people will just keep doing stuff like that. But it's just a fundamentally different thing to me than like the Addison Russell thing. Although, again, disappointing. Like the theme of 2020 is if you thought you were at peak disappointment, 2020 is not over. Right. 
Hold, Hold my, my beer. Hold my beer. <laughs> Cheers, we like to say. So I'm just going to put a quick pin right now because I think we have a chunk that we're going to put in this week's episode. So I'd like quickly for you guys to each just sort of say how to contact you. And then, folks, we have at least one more really big question that Patty's about to ask. So the rest of this interview will drop in a couple days after you hear this one. So how can we find you guys? Uh, I am BCB underscore Sarah on Twitter. And Andy and I are both, our podcast is at Cuppa Cubby Blue. So like Cuppa, like C-U-P-P-A. Um, so you can have your, you know, well, we don't release daily. We release a couple of times a week, basically every series. So like your periodic Cuppa Cubby Blue with your morning whatever. <laughs> nice. And I am on Twitter at Briz, B-R-Y-Z underscore Blue, B-L-U-E. Excellent. I want to get us to a happy place because we want to be in a happy place. Yay. Okay. So- you may or may not know that we have this baseball boyfriend thing that we do as, as our way to profile players. So we pick a guy on every team that we like because of how he plays, maybe some of us more than others about that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> how much he clearly loves the game, but also something else special about him that makes us like care about him as a human and probably want to go have a beer with him. So we would love to know who your baseball boyfriends might be. If you had to pick somebody on the Cubs, it could be as easy as I just want to go have a beer with you or this guy, you guys need to know more about this guy. Okay. Andy's looking like pained at the moment. I don't know why. Cause I already know who, her, boyfriend, I know who her boyfriend is. Like, I'm like, I don't even understand why she's thinking about this. Are you torn? <laughs> I am because I feel like it's different every day. I am. Uh, today is going to be a new one though, Sarah. Today is a new one. He had a really good game today. So today is a new one. I'm going with Jason Hayward. That's my dude. That's Yay. my dude. I mean, he had a very good game. He had an amazing series against the Reds, uh, just on fire. And, you know, I mean, just overall, he would obviously be one of my picks on a daily basis. But I have, like, you know, every once in a while, like a Javi Baez or Jeremy Jeffress now has worked his way into the rotation. Um, but Jason Hayward is pretty – he's pretty consistent. So we're going to go with Jason Hayward. But I, I have other boyfriends on other teams too. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, so Excellent. We, we have people. so many. We have so many. And I was just going to say, I think that Jason Hayward is sort of like the boyfriend of the week. I think he deserves that. I think he deserves to be everybody's boyfriend this week. He's the man. Like nice pick. And and of course Patty's ahead of the game as usual. Yes. <laughs> I'm, Sarah, little, who you got? I'm a little shocked. I was sure you were gonna go with Jeffress, but no, Hayward Jay is a good pick. Um so my my Twitter account is a well-known Wilson Contreras fan zone, but in order to mix this up, in order to mix this up, because I know that y'all have heard about my love of Wilson Contreras before. Um, I think Ian Happ is having a really interesting year. I think he's 26 years old. He's a switch hitter with power, and he is Finally, finally doing leadoff damage for the Chicago Cubs. His defense looks really good. And I just kind of love that, you know, he got sent to AAA for most of 2019. And I don't know what it, what he was working on. Like, I've read a bunch of different things. It's like he, each month he was working on a different aspect of his game, yada, yada, whatever. It worked. Like, he's hitting bombs. He's hitting bombs to all fields. And he's just, it's awesome to see a comeback story like that. So I'm going to go with Ian Happ and say y'all should check out his game. That's awesome. Just for, I have Contreras this year, I believe. So we've done this for three seasons. This is our third season of podcasting. So that means for each team, we each have three boyfriends, which are now getting really confusing. Like it was a lot easier when we just had one or two and we're supposed to leave the other ones behind. So we focus on the guys for this year, but my brain just does not do well at compartmentalizing. I know that I had Rizzo. <laughs> 
right? Did you, I forget which one of us had Baez. I had Baez the, okay. first, the first year we did it. So, right. I was, so, so Andy and I are, are like those cause I had Baez and then, and then Hayward. And actually this year, um, because we had picked like this, the longer term veteran guys, we kind of dug a little deeper and I went with Nico Horner this year. Yeah. I love that. That's a great pick. Yeah. Is that good? Tell me why. Tell me yeah. why that's a good pick. I really like him. Listen, Ian Happ is doing amazing at leadoff. I really like him there. But I think ultimately Nico Horner is being groomed to take that leadoff spot. And he's a very Ben Zobrist-like player. Hmm. Um, he's so good. So good. And he, I love his energy. He just brings a youthfulness to this team that, like, this core group of players had back in, like, 2015. So he's really when they were young. that Yes. Yes. When they were, when they were Nico Horner age. Yes. I mean, they're all still young, but when, you know, when they were first in the league, like he is now and, you know, he's just, he's such a fun player to watch. He's very dynamic. He's very patient at the plate and he's a, a great contact hitter. I mean, just his at bats are awesome to watch. He's, he's been, he's definitely somebody up and coming that, uh, you know, he's going to be a star for this team. It's just a matter of what sort of slot he fits into as far as if he does ultimately find his way at the leadoff or if Ian Happ, you know, just decides that's his spot. So, I mean, Nico, Nico Horner is going to be, he's going to be a good cub for a while to come. I just want to take advantage of having a couple of, of Cubs podcasters here to say, how did you feel when they finally won? Like, oh, how did you tell me with this? I, I'm sorry with this. I'm really, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. But I know right. it, it was at that moment. I know the Cleveland team had been long suffering and I know that the, that the, the Cubs had been long suffering and I can very much relate as a lifelong older person, Red Sox fan, because for my whole life, I just accepted the fact that the Red Sox do not win. Like that's just part of what it means to be a Red Sox fan. And then 2004 came and, and it just blew me away. My dad, who, you know, is my big baseball connection and he is a big teetotaler. He does not drink at all. Called him after the world series win and he had just popped a bottle of champagne. I mean, it was, it, it felt like monumental. So I just kind of want a little, a little bit of what you guys went through at that moment. So I'm going to back it up and I'm not doing this to hurt Patty at all, but um, to the Roger Davis home run, because like, if you're a Cubs fan, you also sort of have this like fatalistic, like it's not like, it's not going to happen. You can't, right. like, it's not going to happen, whatever. And it had, it had hit that point of the game where they were just starting to count outs. And I was furious. I was like, stop counting outs, people. Like, I need you to stop. Like, you're, you're going to get us in trouble. And then Rajai Davis hit that home run that was like literally like a knife through the heart of every Cubs fan. <laughs> In the universe. So I was at Bernie's, which is one of the local bars here. Um, I'm actually kind of an introvert and generally do everything from my couch. But I decided that Game 7 of the World Series was one of those things I should do around people. So I walked oh, yeah. up to Bernie's. Um, I was hanging out there. And I have this rule. It's like superstition, whatever, that like I will not ask for the check until it's over, until the last out of everything. And with that home run, I almost asked for the check because I was so disappointed and, wow. everything. and I had to stop myself. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up on this team game seven of the world series. Like I'm, I'm going to hold it together. I'm not going to give up on this team. And when it started raining and I saw that the Cubs dugout was empty and obviously I didn't know anything about the speech or anything else at this point in time, I just saw that they were all together somewhere and they weren't in the dugout. I was like, I wonder what's going on right now. That's a good sign. And I was just like, maybe this is like the tears of every Cub fan in heaven 
giving this in a much needed mental break. So I can actually get this together. And then Schwarber let off with it. And I was like, it's happening. That, was that is so beautiful. I love the tears from heaven. That's so cool. So I live in St. Louis. Um, and I've lived here for 20 plus years. And so I don't have a huge group of friends that I watch Cubs baseball with, as you can imagine. So wow. there is actually, I know, <laughs> go figure. Um, th- there are a few of us and we have managed to connect on social media and stuff. So there is one bar in St. Louis that is known as a Chicago Cubs bar. It is now closed, um, which is sad. But um so we we went to this bar. My husband and two of my best friends went to this, and they were just going to be supportive. They didn't have anything Cubs. I obviously had to bring them things to wear Cubs. My husband wore like just a royal blue t shirt, but it was fine. So we went to this bar, and um, my my St. Louis Cub fan friends were all there. I mean, and I met even more. And this place was packed. The St. Louis News was there. It was crazy. Um, and I remember the very first hit. Dexter Fowler hit a home run and I remember where I was standing at the bar and who I was standing next to. And I remember thinking we're going to win this game. The second he hit that, that home run, I thought we're going to win this game. Now, of course, because you know, we're Chicago Cubs fans, there's always that impending doom feeling like Mm -hmm. this can't be happening. This, this is good. So it's not going to stay good. Something bad is going to happen. And that was my, uh, my Rajay Davis home run. Like when that happened, I went directly under a table and screamed at the top of my lungs and nobody could hear me. No, but nobody could hear me, but I was underneath the bar table. Like nobody could find me. I was under the table screaming and I was like, I I refused to cry. I was not that upset. I was like, no, we're still going to pull this out. We're going to win this game. It's going to happen. Dexter Fowler had a leadoff home run. We're going to win this game. So when the rain delay happened, I have three, three daughters, we had to come home because it was a school night and the babysitter was here. So we had to come home. So we hurry up and like I had the radio on full blast and somebody else was playing it. Cause I remember hearing it echo when we pulled up to my house and ran in and the babysitter had already known to turn it on. And then that's when stuff started <laughs> happening. And I just remember the phone calls that evening with my dad, my mom, um, my uncle. And, you know, honestly, as somebody that, um, that I I guess could say up to that point, it still didn't feel real. Like even now, like I struggled to, to think that that actually happened, but I see videos, I see clips, I see interviews and I still, I still cry. Like it happened yesterday. Like it's still just that, that powerful of an emotion. And especially because, you know, like Sarah said, you think about all the people in heaven that, you know, in our family or, you know, personalities that, played baseball for the Cubs that didn't live to see it happen. So the fact that we got to see it happen in our lifetime is like still such a, such a a moment that I will hang on to forever. I do sometimes wonder if the Cubs winning the world series, like jumpstarted some weird alternate universe that we've all been in for the last four years (laughs) because the timing (laughs) is kind of random and unfortunate. And I vaguely remember like 12 year old me making a promise to the universe that if the Cubs could win the world series, I would be okay if all of my other teams lost. And I clearly didn't clarify that promise enough because I feel <laughs> like this is like the bad karma version of that promise, but hopefully, hopefully the Cubs can win another world series in 2020 and that will like reset the timeline. Uh, does 2020 count though? I think so. Oh my gosh. Like what David, David Ross had a great comment on this and I'm just going to feel it. It's on a, it's on a t-shirt that I own. And he said, if they're they're passing out a trophy, I want it. So like, if we're all going to play the same number of games under the same circumstances and there's a trophy, like 
let it be mine. I think it'll be a different type of trope. Like it's not going to be the same as 162, obviously. And the, and the things that will go into it will be different, which I think is actually impacting the trade deadline right now. Cause nobody knows what you're supposed to deal for like 30 right. days worth of a reliever. Right. But it's a short rental. Yeah. <laughs> it's a short right? rental ever. <laughs> but if they're passing out a trophy, I want it. And baseball's giving me, you know, a lot of disappointment, but also a lot of joy right now. So. I kind of think that teams that have won a World Series are like, yeah, it would be great to win in 2020. And teams that haven't, like last week when we talked to Hell's Bells, they were saying it would figure that if the Padres are ever going to freaking win a World Series, it'll be in 2020, so it'll have an asterisk. And people will say, well, you know, that was 2020. And I feel that way about the Cleveland team, which, you know, may or may not be an issue. But, you know, it. I think if it's your second or, you know, whatever, sure, it's great because if you're passing out a trophy, I want one too. But... Yeah, I think if it's your first one, it's like I the, the quote last week was I want the first time to be special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Sarah and Andy, it has been such a great time having you guys talk with us. I hope we can do it again some other time. We appreciate your insight on the Cubs. And we feel like, well, I know I feel like you're my people, even if I am a Cleveland girl. So thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having us. If this was a blast and Look, we would love to have you on Cup of Cubby Blue anytime. Thank you. And I just want to say it's kind of wild that we got to this point and we haven't said something about being women in baseball, like that, you know, that struggle. Like we are all women baseball podcasters and we just do it and just fuck anybody who has a problem with it. But, you know, we're there and we're doing just fine. So thank you guys for being part of that, for being strong female voices who are just baseball podcasters, period. Yeah, thank you both for the same. I mean, that's how we feel about it. I know when we talked about what the show was going to look like and how we were going to like de- deal with the fact that we're women. It's like, we're just not. We're just baseball right. fans. And like, we're going to talk about baseball. And Weird Baseball has brought together the most incredible friends. And I just honestly am so grateful to have gotten to know you all a little bit better. I mean, I know that we had been sort of like Twitter acquaintances, but then... Um, came together on as a couple of Zoom calls, and now we get to chat baseball all the time. And so this has been really fun, and I and thanks for having us. Yeah, I will just say that I am so thankful for DMs. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel I feel like you get to know somebody on a different level when you're in a DM because it's it's just and especially when you when you we all love baseball as much as we do, and we come from different different fandoms. So it, it's really nice to be able to bounce ideas off and, and talk the same you know, language about baseball that we all have in common. So I really appreciate the DM that we're all in. And I'm so happy to have gotten to know you too. And thank you so much for including us in this. I'm just going to say thanks so much and talk to you guys soon. 